John chapter 4, verse 1 through 26. So glad that you are here this morning. You didn't stay up too late last night. <laughs> Stand to, the, to your feet as we read God's word and just continue to pre- prepare our hearts for, for worship. To our first time uh, guest, we are so glad that you're here with us this morning and we pray. Uh, that the Word of God would uh, not be uh, just merely information, but that it would bring transformation. And uh, as we hold our Bibles or look to the screen, um, it is just always an amazing and wonderful and needed reminder that these are not man's words. Uh, These are God's words. The God of the universe has spoken through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to man. Uh, what, a, what a privilege it is to hold, hold our Bibles and to look upon its word. Uh, we are continuing our series on the Trinity this morning. Uh, this is part seven. Uh, so what we have done is uh, we've looked at the Trinity and the three affirmations of the Trinity, that there is one God. God is three persons, and each person is fully God. And then we traveled and we highlighted each person in the Godhead, uh, Trinity, Triunity. We looked at the Father for three sermons, uh, and now we're looking at the Son for three sermons. And this is the second highlight of the Son, as we just want to look at him and behold his beauty this morning. And after that, we'll key in on the often forgotten God, the Holy Spirit. Amen? Uh, Verse number one of God's precious, magnificent, wonderful word. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with water with, and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but everyone who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. And is here, is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, for it is life. It is life. Thank you, Father God, for giving us the grace to sit under this life. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is light. There's no darkness in him. We thank you, Father God, that he is perfect and pure, holy and completely sanctified for all eternity. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which is real and alive and working and powerful and hovers over the waters and sustains all things. We thank you for your people who are peculiar and ordinary, but but saved to show off an extraordinary God. We thank you, Lord, that you and you alone satisfy. And we beg you, Father God, to satisfy us this morning, Lord. We beg you, Father God, to to let the things of the world be so dull unto us, to nullify them in our hearts, Father God, and to glorify your fame and your beauty, Lord. Allow us to see you, Lord, in your radiance, Lord, and your multifaceted colors, O God, and your beauty, Father God, so that we, O God, will be a people set aside for your name. Give us a passion, Father God, that burns, Lord, that burns like a forest fire, Lord, and that just simply wants to consume more and more of the earth for your namesake, Father God. Break us away from idols, God. And everything, Lord, that will compete for our hearts this morning. Illuminate our minds, O oh God. And give us a passion for you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we'll be looking at how Jesus offers living water. How Jesus offers living water. I am uh, uh, always just drawn back and amazed at the uh, autonomy, the, uh, the making of the human body. Uh, we have been made very intricately and intentionally, and we know that, uh, that, that God loves us by by this, this way that we've been made. Uh, we know that he was intimate with his creation. 
you know, earlier this week, I was just simply, I don't know, daydreaming or something. I was found myself just looking at my hand and and I began to look deeply at my fingertips. And I I said, man, look at this. I I have a a unique set of fingerprints. And and you have a, a very unique set of fingerprints. No one shares the same fingerprint. They may share the same type, but not even Siamese uh, twins and, and identical twins have the exact same fingerprint. God has woven us together in such an a amazing way that when we stop and think about it, we can't help but to worship. And one of the other things that simply just takes my breath away when we stop and think about our bodies and the way uh, that God made us is the fact that that our bodies consist of 60%, on average, at least 60% water. That we live and we we thrive off of of water. You know, a person, they say, the average person can live uh, uh, 10 weeks, 10 weeks without physical food because your body will begin to, to, to eat pretty much on itself. But try going 10 weeks without water or fluid, and, and you'll see that you'll become deficient very quickly. In fact, a, a lack of water can kill you in a day, or, or it can kill you within a, a week, just depends on the situation. Being 2% dehydrated can be a serious, serious physical, uh, cause some serious physical issues. And they say when a person's body is about 15% dehydrated, they, they start entering into a state that is lethal and that brings upon death. Our body needs water to remove toxins, to digest, to absorb, to circulate, to, to transport nutrients and to aid our body's temperature to keep us at a safe level. While it is true that our body is desperate for water and and needs water, it is equally true that spiritually our souls long for water. And Jesus in this text, as he is ministering to this broken woman who lives in a broken and fallen world, is is using this salvific paradigm, this this picture of water, in order to teach her something eternal. In order to show her that that there is a, a deep, deep need in every single person's soul. And only he can satisfy that need with living water. As we look at this text, we want to break it up in a, a couple, a number of different parts, in four parts. Verses 1 through 6, we want to look at the circumstances, the circumstances surrounding this text. In verse 7 through 15, we want to look at the conversation that Jesus has with this, this, this broken woman. In verse 16 through 18, we want to look at the challenge that Jesus gives to this woman. And then in verse 19 through 26, we want to consider the change that the gospel, that the good news of Jesus brought to this woman. So verse 1 through 6, uh, we will learn about the circumstance. Verse 7 through 15, we will hear and, and dwell on the conversation. Verse 16 through 18, we will see the challenge that Jesus gives this woman. And then in verse 19 through 26, we will look at the change 
that is brought on as a result of her encountering this God, this God-man who created her fingerprint. (laughs) The circumstance. Let's look quickly. And and as we look at these things, we we just want to meditate on our Savior, the one that we came here to worship this morning. Verse 1 says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, uh, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So we see in the first three verses that, that Jesus is forced out of Judea and, and out of Jerusalem, and he goes uh, towards Galilee simply because the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of the day who were blind uh, to the, the goodness of God given uh, through Jesus, uh, they, they were trying to start a, a rivalry and trying to start some mess between John and Jesus as Jesus' ministry began to take off. In the previous chapter, in chapter 3, we see that John is, is confronted with some disciples saying, the disciples came running to him saying, yo, Jesus' ministry is more effective than yours. He's baptizing more people. And John looked at him and said, yo, it, I must decrease and he must increase. In other words, it's not about me. So Jesus, in order to keep things down, he moves on, the Bible says, and verse 4 says, and he had to pass through Samaria. That, that little verse right there just messes me up. It says, and he had to pass through Samaria. See, Samaria was not a place that Jews would, would ordinarily pass through, especially, especially uh, conservative Jews. And the reason why is because there was a huge beef between the Samaritans and the Jews. I'm not going to go into all the details, but Samaritans were a, a mixed race. They were half Jewish, and, and then uh, normally they were half uh, another ethnicity. And the Jews, who were pure-blooded Jews, they had beef with the Samaritans. And we see post-exile uh, in the book of Nehemiah that, that there was some tension already forming between these two groups. So the Samaritans are, are half Jews who are now in this area of Samaria, And there is just a great, deep, deep tension between Jews and Samaria. In fact, I would I would argue that it was deeper than what happened in the during the Jim Crow times. There was a deep seated hatred between these two groups. Now, Jesus, if he was just like every other Jew, would have simply went around Samaria, even though it would have prolonged his trip. But the Bible says that he had to go to Samaria. And why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? The reason why, Sister Janice, Jesus had to go to Samaria is because there was a woman in Samaria before the foundation of the world, before the earth was created, that God had planned to have a divine meeting for. He had to go to Samaria because God was was teaching the disciples that there is no partiality within them, that God loves all people, black, white, (laughs) Chinese, amen. Whatever ethnicity, that the the good news of Jesus, the the kingdom of God is for all. He had to go. There was a divine appointment in Samaria. The Bible says, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. 
So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour was about 12 noon. So we see that Jesus comes to this little town called Sychar. Sychar uh, is, 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 is there, and, and right outside of Sychar, uh, there is a, a well that is, is known as Jacob's Well. This was a great monument. This was something that the, 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 the Jews and both the Samaritans, they treasured because of the history there. And the Bible says that he stops at this monument, he stops at this well, and the Bible says that Jesus is weary. He's weary, and the reason that he's weary is because he is hungry. So the disciples, sensing that Jesus is, a, uh, is tired, they say, we'll go get some food. You just sit here by this well. And what's amazing and what we want to remember in this text about Jesus is pretty much three things. We're going to see it all throughout. But we want to remember that our Lord, number one, that he is human. He is human. That God put on human flesh. He is 100% human. So when it says that he is weary, it is because he is really weary. Just like some of you in here, you're just tired and you're hungry, you're weary. Jesus was weary. We see his humanity here. And what's beautiful as we look at this text and we look at how he offers living water, we see that Jesus is able to connect with this woman because he too has entered into a fallen and jacked up and messed up world. So he is able to meet her where she is because Jesus is human. Jesus gets hungry. He can relate to us when we are hungry. Jesus' heart at times was grieved. And he grieved the loss probably of his father. He grieved the loss of his close friends. Jesus knows what it is to be human. Jesus knows what it is to to work hard at a job that that requires and takes a lot out of you. As we read in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, that Jesus was a carpenter and the son of a carpenter. He was a blue-collar worker. He knows how you feel at the end of the day when you are exhausted. He knows what it feels like to work with customers who are never satisfied. Jesus knows what it's like to be sleepy. We see him sleeping on a boat and, and, and tired at unconventional times sometimes. Jesus knows what it's like to be disliked and what it's like to have people jealous of you. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by people you love. He knows what it's like to, to not be appreciated. Jesus probably experienced diarrhea. <laughs> this was before Pepto-Bismol. He knows what it's like to have an upset stomach. He knows what it's like to have a, uh, to have a dysfunction around him as, as his family members probably had dysfunctional marriages and dysfunctional relationships. And wayward children, Jesus is human. He enters our world. And while Jesus is human, we'll see throughout this text that the reason that he is able to get to the heart of this woman is because Jesus is also 100% God. 
He's 100% human, but he's 100% God. As we look at this conversation with this woman, he is probing this woman's heart in order to get to the root of her worship dysfunction, in order to get to the root of her idol. And she doesn't have to tell him anything. He already knows why, because he's the one who created her and made her and ordained her. He's 100% God. Not 50% God. He's not 50% man, but some miraculous and divine way, he is both. And he's able to minister and do for us like nobody else can do for us because he understands us on so many levels. So many levels. So many levels. Nobody understands me. You say, oh, there's one who understands you. There's one who understands you better than you understand yourself. 100% God. He didn't, when he became man, he didn't place down his divinity. But he kept his divinity. And at times chose not to tap into his divinity in order to experience humanity. It's like a king who is, is king over this great and grand kingdom. And one day this king steps out of his comfort zone and he says, I want to see some, some messed up parts of this kingdom. So he travels to the poor area of town and he he sees that people in this poor area of town is just suffering immensely. And in order to connect with them, he says, I am going to go undercover for a while. And he tells all those who who always wait on him hand and foot, he says, I'm going to go undercover for a while and I want to step into their world. So he takes uh, off his his majestic robe and he he puts on the the clothes of a peasant and and he he lives in the midst of the people. He experiences what it's like to be hungry. He experiences what it's like to be broken. And even though at any time he can call those who who served him, he he chooses not to because he wants to, to learn to serve these people. Jesus, God. Fully divine, yet fully human, steps into your world, and he steps into her world. Here we see in this text the circumstances, but now we see the conversation. Look at this conversation. Verse number seven, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So he, he, he poses a question. He says, Gives me, give me a drink. And right away, she's like, wait a minute. This is abnormal. And why is this abnormal? Because there's beef between Jews and Samaritans. And there's more beef on the side of Jews than on the side of Samaritans. And she's trying to figure out why in the world is this man talking to me? So these are social norms that Jesus is breaking. And not only that, but Jesus is talking to a woman in public. Back in those days, men and women did not speak in public. Even a husband and a wife, they had minimum conversations. But Jesus is not subject to our human social norms and and sinful traditions and pointless traditions. 
Jesus is showing us that, that he is above and beyond that, and he is talking to this woman and engaging this woman, breaking social barriers. Because he loves this woman. Because he wants to minister to this woman. I love the contrast here in John chapter 4 with John chapter 3. Because in John chapter 3, we see a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. He's religious. He's rich. He's been following Jesus. He's seen his miraculous miraculous work. But this is the complete opposite. We see that dialogue with Nicodemus, Nick at night, and now we see a dialogue with a woman who's not prestigious, she's poor. Who doesn't know anything about him. Who isn't religious and externally acceptable, but she's immoral. Again, God is showing that he's an equal opportunity God. And I'm so glad he's an equal opportunity guy, because if he wasn't an equal opportunity God, amen, I wouldn't I wouldn't cut it. And if you're honest with yourself this morning, you wouldn't cut it. Amen. But he's an equal opportunity guy. So Jesus is very, very relatable. Do you connect with Jesus in this way? When things don't go your way or. Do you tend to think that he is impartial? Do you see Jesus as as radical, not not being confined to to just the norms of, of reality? Do you see him as one who is able to sympathize with you? Do you see him as one who who steps into your world? As Hebrews chapter 2 says, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 says that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Do you see God as one who sympathizes with you? Or one who is constantly against you and, and mad at you? Jesus is not that way. He comes to this woman and she, she knows that this should not be happening. And he asks her a question, verse, uh, and then he responds in verse number 10 by saying this. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So this is, this is an interesting exchange. Jesus says, give me a drink. The woman says, we're not supposed to be talking. And then Jesus flips it on her and makes her thirsty. (laughs) He just flips it on her. Look at his response. He doesn't answer her and say, well, I'm different. (laughs) Or I'm really thirsty. Or I know that. Can you hook a brother up anyway? No, he says, if you knew the gift of God. And that's what we need to see when we see Jesus, that we need to see that Jesus is the generosity of God displayed. When we talk about Jesus, we talk about God's generosity displayed. He is grace. When we talk about God's unmerited favor, we talk about Jesus. First John, uh, I'm sorry, John chapter one says that he was full of grace and truth. Jesus is the favor of God because Jesus is the presence of God. 
He says, if you knew the generosity of God, if you knew his generosity, you, and, I'm sorry, and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So this woman is going down uh, into a well with a bucket, drawing it up, and Jesus uses a term. He says, I would have given you living water. And that immediately makes her say, what are you talking about? Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So Jesus offers living water. She says, I have no idea what you're talking about, man. You might, you're delusional. <laughs> Maybe the heat's gotten to you. Maybe you really are thirsty. But Jesus, and then she goes on a question, says, are you better than Jacob? Jacob is Israel, the one who wrestled with God. And the funny thing about that is that, yes, he is better than Jacob. And the water that he wants to give her doesn't require a well. Because Jesus is not talking about natural water. Jesus is talking about things that are spiritual. Just like Jesus messed up Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he's now messing up this woman because he is talking about spiritual things. And the Bible says that those who have not been born of the Spirit of God, they don't understand spiritual things. That's why those who are Christians, when you're at work and you're trying to talk to somebody about Christ and that person seems disinterested and they're trying to give you every excuse in the world why the Bible cannot be true and it seems foolish to them, it is foolish to them because they have not received this living water yet. Their hearts have not been made new. And some of you here who come to church every week and who've been in church all of your life and you say, you know, I never can understand anything about the Bible or anything about God, anything about spiritual things. And I'm really not interested in it. After I leave on Sunday morning, we have to ask ourselves, have we experienced this living water, living water? What is the living water? What is the living water? In the Old Testament, this term living water was a, a popular term that both Jeremiah and Isaiah used. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, we read these words. God says to Jeremiah, from my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Wells, they've built wells for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. It's a spiritual. What are the living waters? Jeremiah 17, 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be ridden in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. The fountain of, of living water. Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2 
Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without bread and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. He says, come, the prophet says, and drink whoever is thirsty. He says, it is free. But what is this living water? In the Old Testament, when, when it talks about living water, it is, it is a, a metaphor for a, a spiritual cleansing and for salvation. God is inviting through the prophets Israel to be cleansed from their sins and to receive salvation, to receive his spirit, which will be a a spring of water living on the inside of them. So what is Jesus offering here? Point blank, Jesus is offering this woman eternal life. Now, a lot of times when we think about eternal life, we think about uh, uh, numerical days. Or eternity. But eternal life isn't just about numerical days. Eternal life is about the quality of life. It is a quality of life. Jesus is offering this woman new life. New life under his kingdom, under his care, under his rule. New life. New waters. A new quality, an abundant life. A life free of guilt and shame. A life free of comparison, comparing yourself to others and, and looking and finding significance in what others think of you. A life free from the burden of guilt and condemnation. He says, I will give you something that will free you from. Water that doesn't satisfy. As Christians, we have to be careful that we don't drink out of broken cisterns. We have to be careful and and evaluate our lives and life in light of this great, generous God and this gift that God has given us through Jesus. As Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have to be careful and make sure that we are drinking of And we are pursuing this living water and not this man-made well that is unable to satisfy us and that is broken. That is broken. Talk about Jesus being divine. We see that right here. Because Jesus doesn't offer her something temporal. He offers her something eternal. (laughs) He offers her something eternal. Listen to what he says in verse number 13. Jesus said to her, and he doesn't, again, he doesn't reply to her, are you better than Jacob? He doesn't reply to her sister girl response. He says, Jesus said to her, everyone, doesn't it sound like Isaiah who drinks of this water 
will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of this water will be, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Look at the word picture that Jesus does here. Jesus is the ultimate teacher. He is. You see this analogy? She's by a well coming to get water. And she's by a well doing a, doing a, a away from where everyone else normally gets water. And not only that, but she, she, she's, she's ostracized. She's, she's broken. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but Jesus captures her mind by using what's near in order to teach her things about eternity. in order to teach her things about eternity. And here he compares, he compares two types of, of water systems. One, he compares a, a, a well to a spring. Do you see that? Look at your Bibles. Verse number 14. But whoever drinks of this water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So she is going to a well. What's the difference between a well and a spring of water? A well is a man-made hole that one has to dig deep into the water, into into the ground, in order to get to the water table. It's man-made. One has to work for it and come back to it and labor. But the word that Jesus uses here in the Greek, this spring, is, is water that is, is busting up and coming out of the ground. You don't have to labor and work for it. <laughs> All you have to do is put a bucket there and accept what is given. And that is a picture of salvation. Salvation is not something that we labor and work and churn to make ourselves. It is something that is given to us. And it is something that keeps on giving to us. It is a process that continues to intensify and continues to bubble and continues to grow in us. As we set our affections on Jesus, he says, I will give you a spring. I will give you something that will bubble up on the inside of you. I will give you something that you don't have to work to death for, but something that will work you to life. I I will give you something that will will nurture you and, and grow you and give you what you need. I will give you something that you don't have to come back to every day, wondering if it is going to be full. I'll give you something that you can count on because it'll be on the inside of you. That's the Holy Spirit. So I'll give you eternal life through my spirit. My spirit is what seals you. What an amazing picture. What an what a incredible picture of a spring of water welling up to eternal life. For those of us who are new to Christianity, right away it may not feel like a spring of water that's welling up to eternal life, but you continue to walk with Jesus and that spring of water will become more intense. Those of you who who say, hey, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and if there's no water that is springing, if there's not a spring in your heart towards Jesus, you have to say, am I drinking of a man-made well of, or of, from something that is, is given by God? 
Is salvation all about what I can do or is it about what Jesus has done for me? You see, in this text, Jesus ministering to the heart of this woman, speaking to her soul, probing in order to get her to a specific place. In verse 15, look how the woman responds. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, do you think that she's thinking spiritually right here? No? No, she's just like me. <laughs> I, I, I'm, you know, slow to get things sometimes, right? Just like, just like you. Sometimes we just are slow to get things. But look how gracious Jesus is. He doesn't give up on her. He continues to probe. He continues to pursue pursue until she sees what he's talking about. And now we move away from the conversation to the challenge. Look how he challenges her. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. What you have said is true. So Jesus now begins to challenge her. And he he says to her, he says, "Uh, listen, go and get your husband for me. And she's like, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, true that, true that, you don't. You don't. Because the one that you're, you're messing with right now and living with as if he, he's your husband is not your husband. In other words, he's convicting her and he's calling her out on sin. And I just want to put a, a footnote, a small footnote. I promise we're about to move on right now. Uh, for someone who makes the argument uh, that, that it is okay for two people to live together and to enjoy a relationship together uh, without being married as if they were married, uh, this is something that we want to we take a mental note of. Amen? Uh, so Jesus right here is saying, yeah, the person that you are shacking up with, who you are not legally married to, <laughs> is not your husband. But he's still gracious. Touch somebody and say, he's so gracious. He, he don't give up on us or, or scorn us to death. He just shows us his awesomeness. <laughs> oh. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says that his kindness leads us to repentance. Wow. His kindness is what draws us to turn our life and to to give our life to him. And we see the kindness of Jesus on display. This woman was broken. Step into a world. This woman had four husbands. See this woman. Feel this woman. She is at a well at noon. It is the hottest time of the day. No women fetch water at noon. They came either early in the morning or later in the evening when the sun went down. Why is this woman at the well at noon? Because she was probably ostracized by her community. People looked down on her. People said that's a Juicy Lucy. Nobody wanted anything to do with her but the man that she was with. And if that's the case, the man that she was with probably wasn't a good man. 
He probably was using her. I don't know this woman, but you know plenty of people like this. And perhaps you're that person here today, this person who is broken. This person who has just made up their mind that I would just settle for anything and anybody because I need satisfaction, because I'm desperate for love. I am willing, I am willing, even though I know better, I am willing to be in a relationship that is dishonoring to God. I am willing to give my body away to someone who has not put a ring on it. Because I believe that that well is more satisfactory, satisfactory than the well, the spring that Jesus gives. And we all, at times, run to broken cisterns. We all run to man-made wells thinking that that's going to satisfy us. And we all have stories that, that lead into our, our idols, that lead into our disobedience. This woman, I don't know her story, but maybe she was abused as a child. Maybe she was taken advantage of and she had a deep scar, a deep hurt in her soul that she could not satisfy. Maybe she was abandoned by her father. And maybe she went to man seeking the love that she did not find from her father. Maybe she was betrayed by her friends. Maybe she she didn't think she was pretty enough or smart enough. Maybe she grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. But whatever it is, it caused her to go to a cistern, to a, to a well that could not satisfy her, to a well that had a hole in it that was leaking, a well that the more she drank, the, the more thirsty she went to. And some of us in here, we are not, we're not drinking living water, we're drinking syrup. It's liquid, but it's making us even thirsty. Jesus said, I love you. I created you. I don't want you settling. And I don't care what your past is, what your situation is. If you drink of me, if you trust me, I'll give you, I'll give you an eternal spring. I'll give you something that no matter your situation, no matter your circumstance, no matter what people are saying about you, you can say, I'm satisfied. No matter if if I'm not living the American dream or I don't have this or I don't have that, I have Jesus and he satisfies. That's the message of Christianity is Jesus is more than enough. And as we walk to him and set our affections on him, he allows us to drink less from that broken cistern and more from him, that spring of water. Some of you, the cistern that you're drinking from is it's your career. It's your career. It's money, money, money. Ministering to a guy this week who the Lord gave me an opportunity to talk to and uh, grew up in the church, knows the Bible. It's one of those God-ordained moments the Lord put on my heart, we began to talk, not, not a member of the church associated with this church, but it, he said, man, I've got the house that I want, I've got the, the wife that I was pursuing, I've got the kids that I want, making money, he said, but the fun, I'm miserable. He said, but what messed me up is I have all these things, and then I look at other people who have more. And I want what they have. 
And he said, it's, it's, just, it's not stopping. And my heart is hard towards God. And, and even though I know he's good to me, I'm, I'm pursuing these things. I'm thinking that these things are, are it. He recognized that he was drinking from a man-made well. Power, sex, respect. The lies that Satan tell us, if we just get married, if only you can get married, your life will make sense. If you could just have children, your life will make sense. You'll get the love that you always need, the love that you deserve. If you could just make more money, you'll, you'll get more. If you could just have a house and get this flat screen TV, you'll, you'll be satisfied. And it is a lie that, that, that keeps us panting for water and we drink more of these wells and we, we end up more thirsty and more miserable. Some of you cry yourselves to sleep. You're depressed and you're down because you've come to realize that nothing is satisfying you. And Jesus is saying, take me, trust me, drink of me. I love you. In order to taste of this living water, we must do what this woman did. Look at how she responds to this challenge. In verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. One of two things is happening here. Either one, she just went and put on her church clothes and she's like, oh, I know how to play this game. I know how to play this. Oh, we're in church now. I know how to play this game. And then she got all deep and she was like, oh, that's my church over there. Uh, y'all Jews, y'all worship over there, but we worship over here. That's our church. We got a great choir. You should come sometimes. Catch us on a right Sunday. Our pastor might preach a good sermon. That's our church right there on that mountain. Or, or she was just convicted. And I think she was just convicted. She says, wait a minute, are you a prophet? In other words, wait a minute, how do do you know that about me? How, how, how How did you get to that spot in my heart so quickly? How did you just tell me the story of my life so abruptly? Look how Jesus responds. Living water comes by acknowledging that we are sinners. She didn't argue with him. She didn't try to twist his words. She didn't dance around. She said, you are a prophet. In other words, what you have said is true. Our fathers worshiped on this, mercy, on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem there's a place where people ought to worship. So now she's saying, where do I go for this living water? You're talking about spiritual things. Do I need to go to Jerusalem? And that's some of us, we think, okay, Pastor Jamal, how do I fix myself? How do I, how do I find this satisfaction in God? I've been trying to find it in, in a man or in a relationship that I know is not good. How do I find this real living water, this spring of water? Do I, do I just go to church more? Is it, is it Sunday school? Is it Wednesday night Bible study? Is it coming earlier? Is it being a good person? What do I have to do to satisfy this longing? And Jesus says, nope, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation comes from the Jews. We'll pick that up some other time. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is here now where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does Jesus do here? Jesus uses this term that we like to do weird things with spirit and truth. But listen to what he says. He says, no, those who are truly seeking his water, those who are truly wanting to live their lives as a testimony to God, to, to, to live their lives in a way that honors God and, and have this longing felt, you must understand, number one, that worship is spiritual. It's not about external. It's not religion. It's not something that you pick up on Sunday and you put down Sunday night. It is spiritual. God is spirit, meaning that God is everywhere. At the same time, he's saying true worship recognizes that you are in the presence of God at all times. It's not an external performance. It is an internal change that has happened because of the Holy Spirit. But true worship is not just in spirit. It's not it's not just in spirit. He says it's in truth. You worship according to God's standards. Not according to man-made standards. Some of us, we, we've got a category that says, if I do these things, I'm a good Christian. And when I fail to do these things, I'm, I'm not a good Christian. And these are the areas that I get to compromise on. Because God knows my heart. God knows my heart. God knows I need a man. And he knows, he knows that I ain't going to catch no man up in church. And I ain't going to catch up no man if I don't give him something to keep coming back. You know what Jeremiah has to say, 17.9? The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? So that God knows my heart doesn't work. Coming to Jesus means coming on his terms by recognizing that you are a sinner. But number two, by acknowledging that he is the Christ, that he is the king. Look at this next verse, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us these things. In other words, she's saying, yes, one day this Christ is going to make it clear of what it really means to worship God. And listen to what Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. From that moment, her life has changed because she recognized the depth of her sin. She recognized that she was going to a broken cistern seeking satisfaction and that she needed living water. And that living water only comes through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Messiah literally means the, the king, the Christ. Making a hard plea to you today for us. I'm making a hard plea to that religious person who thinks that they're going to make it to heaven just by coming to church. I'm making a hard plea to that person who pays their offering on Sunday thinking that just paying an offering satisfies God. And I'm saying look to the Christ. Look to the cross. Look to the one who died in your place. See that he 
is, is the one who can give you living water. The one who takes away the sins of the world. The one who can change you from the inside out. Who can, who can take your taste buds and revive them, renew them, give you greater taste buds. Just like on the Daniel fast. So those who went on this fast or, or whatever you did, if it was from food, you started off and it was, it was tough those first five days. You maybe you had a headache. <laughs> you were tired. You probably cheated once or twice. But as the time went on, God changed your appetite. And you didn't long for the things that you longed for early on. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you you make a commitment. It won't be perfect, but he changes your appetite. And he gives you grace to look more like Jesus. And what is the proof that this woman was changed? The proof that this woman was changed is that she no longer cared what people said about her. She was on mission for the Lord. The Bible says that the disciples came back and they ridiculed Jesus for talking to her. She said, baby, bye, and went back to the hood and started telling everybody about Jesus. She went back to people who probably would never talk to her with a a spring to a step because she had experienced the spring of life. And life was no longer about her, but it it was about telling other people about this great God that she serves. We are a peculiar people who have ordinary lives, who have received the spring of life in order to show off an extraordinary God. Are you a peculiar person who have accepted the generosity of God, who lives an ordinary life in order to show off an extraordinary God? Do you lean on his spring, his grace, his love, his mercy, or your own performance? or someone else for satisfaction. As we close, may we ponder that thought. By pondering these questions, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to ponder a few questions. Number one is what gets you most excited? When you look at the sum of your life, what gets your heart pulse beating? What do you raise your voice about when you're excited? What is it? What are you willing and constantly sacrificing for? What are you constantly scheming to get? What in your life are you willing to disobey God with? because you think that it will satisfy you. Fill in this blank. If you don't have blank, your life is a waste. What does your heart want to put in that blank? If, If I die without achieving blank, my heart was a waste. What is that? Let me encourage you by letting you know Anything other than Jesus is a broken system. And Jesus loves you way too much to allow you to go to that well in the heat of the day alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. 
we pray that you would heal us. Even as we listen to sermon, Lord, some of us are convicted by our sin and we feel overwhelmed. Maybe we feel overwhelmed with life and may you remind us that when we are overwhelmed with our sin or overwhelmed with life, it is because we are underwhelmed with Jesus. Help us to be overwhelmed with Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.